So great. Some of you will notice this powerful stand arrangement, which will add a bit of spice to this evening, because I may, in fact, knock my laptop off with my wild gestures, but hopefully we go well. So, um, welcome to Blueprint this evening. My name is Rose, and tonight we are going to be hearing about Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem. Now, in the church calendar, they call this Palm Sunday. But for those of you who have been reading um, Seasonal Guide this week, you'll you'll know it's yeah, the entry in Jerusalem, and yet palms are not mentioned, which is just because Luke, in Luke's Gospel, they just don't talk about the palms. So it's still Palm Sunday, but we won't hear about the palms because apparently yeah, Luke just doesn't care about foliage, which I absolutely can't understand. But anyway, next week is Easter where we remember that Jesus died. He was killed with the full force of, of the Roman Empire and he lay dead for three days and then he rose again. And for Christians, this story of Jesus' death and resurrection is the central story through which we come to understand everything else. And so, if you like, I kind of feel like tonight is sort of like the warm-up gig at the concert. I'm kind of like the opening act, getting us ready for Easter week. Um, To get ready um, to remember deeply this week that 2,000 years ago, Jesus was preparing for a big week. A big week that changed everything. And so tonight, we don't tell the story of the cross. Rather, we tell a story of a road trip. We tell a story of a street party. We tell a story of a crowd who would shout for joy one day in celebration at the arrival of Jesus. But soon, the mood would change and they would be shouting to put him to death. Tonight we tell the story of Jesus coming as flesh and blood into the neighborhood with his heart and mind set on what would happen in Jerusalem. And so if you um, have a Bible here, which is probably unlikely, or if you have a seasonal guide, which is possible, um, you can open up to Luke chapter 19 and um, we start at verse 28. Yeah, that's right, on your phone, it's good. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethage and Bethany at a hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead, saying to them, Go to that village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here to me. If anyone asks you um, why you're untying it, say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They shouted, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. Now I want to ask you, who here has been to Jerusalem? One, two, three. That is about the amount that I thought would have been. So you three can imagine the city and its walls and the hills behind the city, and the the trail coming down the Mount of Olives. And 
Tonight, I would really love if the rest of us could kind of get into imagining the story a bit more. For the three of you, I'd ask you to recall your time in Jerusalem, but for the rest of us, um, I'm going to try and paint a bit of a picture so that we can relate a little bit more. Because I'm not sure about you, but for me, being able to imagine um, a place or know where a story took place, um, if I don't have that, it's a bit of a barrier for me to actually understand it to connect the reality of the story with my life. So when I was 11 and started going to church, it took me a while to realize that the stories in the Bible actually happened, like on earth, in places. When I was 15, I went to this Christian bookshop and I bought the study Bible and it had maps in it. And again, I was like, oh, this is weird. There are people that like live in these places today. And it was another way of me being able to connect to the places that Jesus actually wandered through. Um, And it made the stories of God and the the kind of reality of Jesus coming, as Scotty was saying, incarnate, more more real to me. And so in the interest of this, I looked up how far it is from Bethage and Bethany to Jerusalem. I thought, you know, how long is this walk? And it turns out it's two miles. And then I thought... I wonder what it would have been like. You know, what would Jesus have seen on this walk? Sounds like the hillside was covered with olives. And I thought, if Jesus was to come into a city and then parade down its street um, with people all around acknowledging him, what would that look like here? And so it turns out that um, the top of Mount Vic to the start of Courtney Place is two miles. (laughs) Yes. And that there's actually a street... Roxburgh Street, that is lined with olive trees. Um, So in season, I will be foraging there. (laughs) And Courtney Place, as some of you will know, is a place where parades occur. You may have gone to the Chinese New Year celebration there, or um, the Pride Parade, or you may have gone, um, if you're a kind of veteran Wellingtonian, to the Lord of the Rings kind of um, like big red carpet gig that they did. And I would ask you, if you've ever been part of a street parade, to call that to mind tonight. Yeah, for those of you who've ever been to the top of Mount Vic, you might want to imagine looking over the city and contemplating um, descending down into the city. Um, And to help kind of jog our imaginations, I'm actually going to play a little video with Nathan's help of um, a pilgrimage I made in my car. (laughs) So I show you this video because I would really love for you guys this week I really want to challenge you to pick up the story of Easter from Luke 19 and read um, through Easter to the end of that gospel and try and put yourself in that story. Think about the distances traveled, the smells, the sounds. Look up the weather if that's helpful to you. And the reason I want to challenge us all to kind of do this both tonight and this week is because I really would love for us to capture afresh the reality that Jesus was here on earth that his footprints left marks in the dust and his laughter hung in the air and his blood was the colour of ours. Tonight and this week, I want us to be recaptivated by the truth that Jesus was a human (coughs) man um, and to be reawakened um, to that in order that we might experience just how profound the choices were that Jesus made, which we remember at Easter. And so... um, yeah, tonight the first thing we're going to look at is this, this um, concept of tension. Christians love to throw this word around. Um, if you've been around in church for a little while, you've probably heard um, it said 
you're just living in the tension. And um, yeah, I, I want to take us just slightly to the side before we come back to tonight's scripture. Um, so bear with me here. I've been reading this book in the last few weeks, um, and this lady, Marva Dawn, explains um, this thing about tension, which I found really helpful. So I'm going to ask you guys to um, do a little thing with your hands here because um, it helps explain it. So um, could you interlock your fingers kind of like this and then bring your elbows up kind of to the height of your shoulders? And I want you to pull equally with both hands. That's it. Great. Hold that. Now listen. Now, think now that each elbow represents a truth, but that the two truths seem to contradict after all, one points one way and the other points the other way. The only way to keep the two truths in balance is to pull equally with both hands, to hold the tension between the two so that we don't fall over to one side or hit the person next to you. So you can feel the tension in your arms as, as you're doing this. Um, you can put your arms down now. Thanks for entertaining me. Yeah, nice. So there are a number of different tensions that um, we have in the Christian faith. I mean, some I thought of are that we are um, fully sinners. We um, are no way able to live up to the, to the glory of God, of being able to be in God's presence. We're not um, kind of worthy of that. And yet, on the other side, we are fully loved, um, made totally worthy in Christ, and that um, by the Spirit, God dwells within us. And another one is that we have this kingdom of God that the um, scriptures talk about, which is here and it's now and it's uh, within us and it's around us. And yet, it's not here yet. The world is still broken and hurting. And tonight, the tension that I want to explore in this passage is that Jesus was both fully God and fully human. This is a tension which exists at the very nature of Jesus. So what Christians have come to understand as we've looked back on the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and as we've had this kind of ongoing revelations by the Holy Spirit is that Jesus wasn't just 50% God and 50% human, but Jesus is 100% God and 100% human. And I think that's a really important thing for us to grasp. So that's my, my first take home tonight. Jesus was 100% God and 100% human. Jesus isn't merely someone who looked a lot like God or who had a very close walk with God. Rather, Jesus is the most high God himself. When um, his disciple Thomas sees Jesus resurrected, he says, My Lord and my God. As Scotty was saying earlier with um, his talk around um, Eucharist, at the start of John's Gospel, we hear about this incarnation, about Jesus coming um, in flesh. He um, uses this metaphor to describe Jesus, and he calls him the Word. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. John goes on to say that Jesus is the only begotten God. So Jesus is 100% God. John explains that by his very nature, Jesus was there at the beginning. He was with God, and he was God. But... He goes on to explain, there was a moment where that eternal word entered our world. He fell into chronological time. He entered into the constraints of life on our planet. And as the um, message translation of it has it, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And I love that phrase, the immediacy of it. 
the sense that this mysterious, eternal word of God went through the process of putting on flesh and blood, transforming into a human and moving in next door to us. Jesus is 100% human. And so I think this is something that we need to keep holding in our minds as we look at the actions and the words and the choices of Jesus. He is 100% God and 100% human. And so in tonight's passage, we see that Jesus, the eternal word of God, God himself in human flesh, has rode into the neighborhood of Jerusalem. And following this thread of Jesus being 100% human, I want us to think about how Jesus was a man who woke up and slept in, who ate and drank and sweated and laughed and cried, who prayed, who talked with his friends, who thought about things, who weighed up the options and who made choices. And I think this thing about choices is critical. In Luke chapter 18, um, which is just the chapter before tonight's reading, Jesus takes his disciples aside and says, Guys, we're going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. And then the scriptures say, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. And this um, sits just before the entry into Jerusalem, and it's the third time in Luke's gospel that Jesus has been talking to his disciples about his death, which he knew would occur in Jerusalem. And yet, Jesus still chose to go there. And so that's my second point tonight, that as God, Jesus foresaw the cross, Yet as a human, he chose it. We talk about Jesus coming as a human and therefore um, him being able to relate to our experience. But tonight I want to encourage us to think of that the other way around. And to say that because we are human, we can relate to Jesus. We can relate to his experience. So Jesus chose to go to Jerusalem. And I want us to try and imagine being Jesus for a minute. This week, Alana and I were talking about, like, imagining Jesus in his 20s. It really got me thinking on this. So I was thinking, you know, you're a kid growing up and you're getting this dawning sense that you are different from everyone else. You're a teenager with a conviction that God is calling you to do something. You're a carpenter in your mid-20s and you're making tables and enjoying the sunshine and the company of your family. But knowing soon you're going to embark on a different career and... Yeah, don't know how that's going to go with your family. You're a man in your 30s who goes out and gets baptized in a river and begins to go from town to town, doing a lot of ordinary human stuff, eating at people's houses, having provoking conversations, and upsetting the authorities. You're a human, and you sleep, eat, walk, talk. You get angry, you get sad, you get introverted, you get desperate, you get pissy at your friends. And all the while, you have a sense that you are being given the choice to go to Jerusalem. To first be celebrated when you arrived, and then to be forsaken, to be handed over to the authorities, to be beaten and killed. To enter into death completely, to be 100% dead, and to come alive again 
100% alive. So Jesus lived with this tension within his own self, being fully God and fully human. (coughs) Jesus is God and he foresaw the cross. Jesus knew the cost of that. But as a human, he chose to pay it. He chose to experience death and the full bitterness of separation from the community of the Trinity, from the community of God, crying out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm just the opening act, not stealing the show. This is Palm Sunday. It's five days before Jesus will be shouting those words, or will be remembering him shouting those words. At the moment, he's on a donkey riding down the streets of Courtney Place. All around him in Wellington, people are shouting and proclaiming loud praise. A lot of people, no, actually, we're in Jerusalem, obviously. Many people um, at the time in Jerusalem, Jews would have been on a pilgrimage to come to Jerusalem because it's Passover. Um, So many of them would have heard either of Jesus or maybe heard him speak before, um, maybe witnessing some of the things he um, had done. So everybody was talking about him. A little thing that I found interesting is that apparently saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, was kind of like a standard greeting that people would give one another as pilgrims. Um, But the thing that gets said of Jesus is, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That was what was shouted of him as he entered Jerusalem. Many hoped that he would be the Messiah who would cleanse Jerusalem from the Roman occupation to be the one that saved the Jewish people through victory. But they were projecting onto him the kind of king they wanted. They wanted a glorious king to make their lives more victorious. And as a human, Jesus had this choice. He could have given them that. He could have been that kind of king that they wanted. He could have smashed the Romans and restored glory to Israel. Jesus knows what the people want. He knows um, that he's being celebrated by the crowd and that the crowd is right. Yeah, he is the king, but he's not the kind of king they think. The crowd is profoundly misunderstood. And like any of us experiencing pressure to be someone, to be something else, to live up to the expectations that others put upon us, Jesus knew the power of the crowd. But within himself, he knew the will of the Father and the invitation to the way of the cross. And he chose that instead. He chose it instead of knowing, um, he he chose it fully knowing that it would lead him to the cross. Knowing that he was the king who would make a violent cross his throne. Whose crowning glory would be a thorn bush twisted into a crown. Why did Jesus do this? Why would he make such a rugged choice? And tonight I want to offer us two reasons to take away and ponder. Because as a human, Jesus was 100% committed to choosing a yes to the invitation God had for him. He was 100% committed to living out the call of God. And because as God, Jesus was 100% committed to redeeming his creation with his own love. And this is the one that we follow. This is our Jesus. 
one who understands our experience and the struggles we have to follow God's invitation. One who, who knows what it's like to make choices. One who became for us the winner of ultimate victory over sin and death. The ultimate model of living into the fullness of human life, a life surrendered to God. This is the one who said to each opportunity, each invitation God extended, a big yes. He said yes to the journey to Jerusalem. And finally, with deep anguish, yes to the cross and yes to us. And I think this is really beautifully captured in Romans 8, where we read, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so just to recap on, on where we've tracked tonight. Tonight I want to invite you to grapple with the mystery that is Jesus, 100% God and 100% human, who walked on this earth. To walk the earth that we walk. Who passed underneath olive trees and walked down hillsides and through city streets. Tonight I want us to grapple and, and look ahead to Easter week um, with a sense of beauty that Jesus foresaw the cross and then he chose it. And tonight I want us to know that Jesus chose the cross as one that was totally committed to saying yes to God and that Jesus chose the cross as one who was totally committed in love to us. And so, yeah, I think we'll just take a few moments to ponder that um, and I might pray for us.